Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Carter Street Talk. This is the first episode of season three. We're all the way at episode 53 now. So uh, really exciting. Today, I have a guest that I've had requested probably top three or top four most requested guests. So I'm super happy to have him here. Um, we have Linus Schmidt. You may know him from Como Rebbe, Eraser Hands, or just a lot of really awesome Carter Street moves. I'm super happy to have him here. Uh, Linus, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it should be a, a really fun one. I know you've, like I said, you've been a really highly requested one, uh, especially from a couple people that have been pestering me about it. So super happy to finally get this going. Uh, my first question for you and what I'm kind of interested in is just kind of your background in cardistry, how you, how you got into it and kind of how long you've been doing it. For me, the line between doing magic and doing cardistry is like very blurry. Like I really don't remember an exact date of when I switched over. But the first time I ever picked up a deck of cards was on Thanksgiving Day. Um, like, uh, maybe six or seven years ago at this point. Mm -hmm. um, I think I was in seventh grade at the time, but just like started off learning color changes and stuff like that. And then eventually got really into like Singaporean cardistry. I think some of the first videos I was ever watching was like Kuma films and, um, mm -hmm. Vert's videos and then like school of cardistry and all that stuff. That was really what got me into it and got me interested. And then from there, like Tobias Levin, dealer script, Fontaine, all that stuff came secondary to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I don't know how many people, it would be interesting to see how many people come from like Singapore or Fontaine, like what the first introductions were for everybody. Yeah. Um, obviously you've been doing cardistry for a while. A lot of people really uh, respect your, your style. When it comes to like making moves in the creative process, do you have any tips or any kind of strategies that you've come up with that you think work out pretty well? Yeah. And I think that the answer to that question is always changing. Um, for me right now, the most important thing is to actually sit down and like work on a move. Um, and I have so many random openers and little bits and pieces. And like for the longest time, I would just sort of do them over and over and over again and expect something to just sort of happen naturally. But I've had the most success creating recently from actually like sitting down in front of a camera and like consciously working towards something. Mm -hmm. Not to say that accidents and, and moves occurring naturally is a bad thing. I think that's how a lot of moves and ideas get started. It's like something happens or you explore a certain grip and then, you know, one thing leads to the next. But to actually work through and finish a whole move, I think it takes a lot more work than I previously thought it would, you know? And, like, a lot of my older moves were sort of just born from accidents and doing the same thing over and over until something happens. But lately I'm really trying to like work to get. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really hard to like conceptualize a move. I think a lot of people moves kind of happen from mistakes. Like you were saying, like you'll be trying to do an already established move and then you do something on accident. It still kind of works out or like, <laughs> I think everybody also has that thing where they're just mindlessly shuffling and they do something cool and they don't realize what they did or how to, what they did, yeah. which is always frustrating. 
but like like you said, sitting down to make a move can be really difficult and just finding the time to do that as well. I was going to say, like, not rushing yourself to finish anything is always a good thing to do. Like, even if you're working towards a big solo video, it doesn't have to be finished at any specific time. You know, just go at your own pace. It helps. Mm -hmm. When do you feel like you know, like, a move is, is finished for you? It's a gut feeling, really. Um, because there have been times where I've, like, sent friends unfinished moves or like maybe not unfinished but i'll ask them if they think it's done and they could say yes that's done but if i don't feel like it's truly finished then i won't put it out mm -hmm. um i think it was patrick that patrick barnabas that said like a move is finished when it feels like you've won that's kind of like a weird way to say it but i think the idea is definitely there like it's just a gut feeling where you feel satisfied with every aspect of it and nothing feels awkward. I think that's a big part of it. It's getting rid of awkward moments in your moves. Mm -hmm. And that's something I've found with like my moves. A lot of times, um, at least early on, I'll think something's finished. And then oftentimes for me, I'll find something that kind of removes awkward points and I'll be like, oh, it was never, it wasn't finished. Um, I'm always quick to like say a move is finished when usually it's not, which yeah. is probably a bad habit. But I think what I've found a lot with talking with so many people over the podcast is like kind of what you said is, is what a lot of people that we respect in the community have a similar viewpoint where like other people will think a move is finished, but if your gut feeling is there that it's not, then they usually still are trying to explore that and usually end up finding something a little bit better. Um, so I definitely think there's some merit to what you're saying. I know that like Greg Malin and, um, I think Becca Beal, some other people have said pretty much the exact same thing. Now that we kind of talked about the creative process, um, with uh, pertaining to cards, I'm kind of interested in like Coma Ready and the clothing and everything you've been doing with that brand. How did kind of Coma Ready came to be? I, before Coma Ready, I had this small brand called something else, which wasn't much of anything. It was just kind of like sporadically releasing mediocre graphic t-shirts. And it's not something I'm that proud of, but it definitely like laid the foundation for like Comb Raby later down the line. You know, it's like doing anything for the first time is a good way to figure out what not to do the second time. And I think I got a lot of mistakes finished the first time around. Um, but with something else, there wasn't really ever a deck associated with it. It was just kind of like t-shirts. Um, but I was working on deck designs at the time. Um, these were made uh, like years before Comoravi was ever officially a name. Um, mm -hmm. And I had a, a few designs that are in our like collection that were made a long time before the brand was ever formulated. Um, and I think at a certain point, Comoravi started just as a necessity because I wanted to shut down the first brand because it wasn't going anywhere. I wasn't really enjoying it, running it that much. And, but I still had these designs and these decks that I wanted to release. Um, so Comoravi was just the next step because we, I needed a new outlet to put these designs out into the world um, and that's, that's how it started. 
Yeah, I know I've talked with Parker before. Um, he kind of explained some of the, the background of Coma Ready too. Um, I think it was 12 decks, right? Or is that the right amount? Yeah, that was the starting oh, yeah. decks. Then. Just 12 decks that you kind of made out of fun because you want to be creative and want to have something cool. Um, but I think with, with Coma Ready too, I think you've had a lot more interaction with other people in the community, like the Karcher community, like Parker and Jorge. Um, so definitely, I think that's probably helping helping out with the brand and everything. What what's kind of your vision for Coma Red? Because I know um, you do you've you're based in Cardistry, obviously, but you're also um, showing off uh, clothing and hoodies and coats and all types of stuff like that. Right now, you got the hoodie contest going on. Um, so, what's kind of the future vision for what Coma Red is? It's um... It's always changing. I mean, we don't have a set end goal, but our goal for this year is to definitely push high fashion a lot more. And something that we've said in our like team meetings since the beginning is we really want to, you know, obviously be in the car street community and be active and, and stimulate conversation in the car street community, but we also want to push the idea that a deck of cards is like a fashion accessory and it's like it's a home good it's a fashion accessory it's a high-end item you know because a lot of cardists wouldn't see it this way but i think it's 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 a um it's a high fashion item it's like you know fontaine anyone all these other brands they're sort of presenting mm -hmm. themselves as larger than just a deck of cards and maybe wants to do the same thing but sort of take it in a different direction and right now we're mostly limited by um finances you know we don't have the money to do a lot of these like larger more elaborate like fashion things that we would like to do mm -hmm. um for instance we were trying to get together and, and work on um, some like knit custom knit uh sweaters but the factory that we were trying to work with um, dropped our project because we weren't ordering enough. You know, mm -hmm. um, we're only we could only print like maybe twenty, and they just that wasn't enough for them, so they dropped us, which is unfortunate. But you know, we're hoping that this year, by the end of it, we can start doing larger project uh, projects that are more fashion based and still combining it with the playing cards, but sort of trying to find a balance for the two meet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of car street brands are kind of heading. It's kind of almost like a, a lifestyle more so than just yeah. um, releasing playing cards. Like there's definitely like playing card specific companies out there, but I think most of the car street brands are kind of heading in an almost fashion based type of um, realm. Um, and it's interesting to see too with the financial aspect of it, because I know that's something that like a lot of you can really struggle with in the car street community because there's not a huge return on an investment when for playing cards, mm -hmm. um, depending on how much you, you you sell them for. But when it comes to like clothing and stuff, that's when you can get more financially more back to where you can create bigger and better projects. Yeah. So it's almost like a necessity to sell stuff outside of playing cards, I think. Mm -hmm. Also just reaching new markets, you know, and trying to get playing cards into the hands of people that 
wouldn't normally consider it on a daily basis. Um, mm -hmm. And I think, as you said, you know, it's a lot harder to sell playing cards than it appears. And I think a lot of brands like to put up a front of we're successful, you know, we're selling out cards, but it's very difficult to do, especially with how many more, like brands there are right now. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think there's even room for more brands to start coming out. And I think a good example is um, Yang Gan Yao He, which is the mm -hmm. Hong Kong based brand. I think they came out and although some people would argue that we don't need another brand, I think they're doing so much for us visually that it's completely worth it. And the more people that come in and add to it, the better. Mm -hmm. And it, it'll be interesting to, to, to see too, like as Carter Street kind of grows, because um, right now I think the issue isn't necessarily that there's a lot of brands. I think there's just a lot of brands for the size of Carter Street. True. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of that comes from, because we're all creative is a part of it. So we all like long for to do more and to do things creatively. But I think as Car Street expands, there's going to be a lot more room for just growth in that aspect. I think there's a lot more room for casual cardistry fans, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. I think most of the cardists in the community are like super into cardistry, like obsessed almost. Yeah. Um, we all want to be But I think there's a lot of room for like casual cardistry mm -hmm. that I don't think we've really grown into too much that sh might be happening sometime soon as it becomes more accessible to the public and as you have people like you and, and other brands kind of bringing and shedding light on other communities like fashion, what cardistry is and, and what you can do with the deck of playing cards. For sure. And it's kind of interesting too, you saying like decks of cards are almost seen like fashion. I think a lot of people like to like match their deck of cards with their outfit and stuff like that. Um, so I think there's definitely going to be a lot of style and kind of um, customization with playing cards. So it's almost like a deck of for skating where you yeah. have something that really matches your personality or something that you really connect with and you have different decks for different days and stuff like that. I think that's um, definitely something that's starting to happen more. Sure. And a lot of people do it subconsciously too. Just like you might go through the day and at five o'clock you're like, oh my God, I'm matching my deck to my pants. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I know Sean O says he always like kind of gravitates towards black decks because he always wears pretty much all black most of the time. So it, it's interesting how people's personalities kind of come out with the deck of cards. It's interesting too because like I think purple, um, the color purple playing cards are like my favorite designs, but I never wear purple ever, but maybe I should look into that. So maybe that's telling me something. Yeah. Um, but one question I do have that I want to make sure I don't forget about that's from the community was, um, if you have any tips on how to get recognized in the community, cause I know that was something that I had, I think two people ask when I posted to my story, what they would like to hear about. So do you have any thoughts about how you can be better recognized in the community? Of card street. Yeah. Um, I, it's, it's weird. I think that, um, recognition just comes from consistency and the first few years that I was like really full into cardistry, like magic was behind and I was just into cardistry. 
I tried posting every single day. Um, I don't know if that was specifically like a card related thing or if it was just sort of like an Instagrammer thing where it was like, oh, I'm going to post every single day for a year. Mm-hmm. But I, I wanted to do that for cardistry, whether it's posting a, a nice picture of a deck of cards or posting a new move or like a combo. But I never made it through a full year. I think the farthest I got was like 200 and something days in. But um, I think the reason I have so much recognition is just from that. Like, there are so many artists that are so much better than me. And personally, I, I still think I have a long way to go before I'm satisfied with my own abilities. But I think a lot of it is that. And posting every day also forces you to be better. It forces mm-hmm. you to, you know, just create a little something every day. Even if it's simple, you know, it'll make you take a photograph that day, or it'll make you try and do a really nice combo. And even if you don't realize it, you're just improving at like small little fractions every single day. And I think that's what I would attribute my own recognition to, I guess. So consistency Mm -hmm. and just trying to do something every single day. Yeah. I mean, there's kind of the obvious aspect of that, of just you're posting more, so more people are going to see it. But there's also, like you were saying, there's this constant improvement. And I think what's really good about being really consistent with what you're doing is you can look back. You kind of almost have like a lookbook, I, I don't know. But you can like look in the back of to what you've done in the past and see like how you've improved over time, oh, yeah, which is always sure. a really satisfying thing. Um, I know that I've experienced that with the podcast as well. Is just looking back at like the first episode and being like, oh, I used to consider this good, but I don't anymore. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you probably feels that way about some of your moves maybe. Um, but that's something that's also good about being really consistent. Um, when it just comes to like algorithm stuff too, like Instagram usually tends to prefer people, just most algorithms I think tends to perform, prefer consistent content because they want people on their platform. So just from like a algorithm kind of aspect, that's, that's another thing. I also think this whole question in general can sometimes maybe not be the healthiest because I don't know that recognition is the end goal for cardistry should be the end goal for cardistry. Yeah. Just personal satisfaction with what you're doing is like, I think that's where we need to be just enjoying what you're doing and as you say, it's not a healthy thing to just want to be the most recognized artist. And I, I hope that we can move past that to some extent. And I think I, I really like what you're saying too about more casual cardistry and just having people just enjoy it rather than trying to be the best all the time. You know? Yeah. I think there's a very almost competitive aspect of cardistry where we're always trying to make like something bigger, something better, which is, is good because we're making an astounding amount of moves and an astounding amount of, of decks and astounding amount of creativity is coming out of cardistry right now. But I almost sometimes wonder if it's not like if people are going to start experiencing burnout, I think some people already started to have those feelings because there's only going to be so much especially if your goal is to get recognized or to get like views and stuff like in the grand scheme of things, cardistry, even the most viewed cardists aren't viewed as much as like 
people that make dance videos and stuff like that. Like those are going to get more videos or more views. So like you said, I think it's really important that we're kind of striving for being happy with what you're doing. And at, at the core, I think just having fun and enjoying it, I think, at least for me, that's what I kind of want to focus on is, is kind of just enjoying cardistry and not necessarily worrying about getting views and making, changing the community or adding something. Um, which if you get to do that, like amazing, like, I think everybody wants to be like Tobias in the community, like, or Noel, where they just have an amazing library of moves that everybody tries to learn. But I don't think it's, um, it's realistic for most people to, to be able to reach that height. New segment that I want to do on the show that I haven't done in the past is always, um, go for music recommendations. I don't know if I sent this in the topics list that I sent to you, but, yes. um, this is something I want to start adding says I want to make like a, a compilation of music recommendations at the end of the year, where it's like 52 different artists, 52 music recommendations. Oh, that'd be fun. That I think would be really cool. So, um, do you have any music recommendations that of either underrated or just people? I can recommend, uh, this one group, Paris, Texas. I've been enjoying their music a lot recently. Um, oh, there's one song, um, oh, who's it by? Uh, there's this band Boy Harsher, which a friend of mine mm -hmm. is onto. That's a very good sort of like, it's almost electronic, but with vocals. Um, I guess I would say Boy, Boy Harsher is a very good music all right there you go um if you guys haven't heard of them i would check them out i think i'll probably check them out because this is also something i like to do is just experience other people's tastes in music and fresh new music when it comes to you um obviously i think music and photography creating clothes cardistry um you have a lot of other hobbies have you ever found that like clothes making and photography and that stuff has ever affected your cardistry? Um, like move making or performance? Like, yeah. Or... Moves or move making. And then obviously there's like taking pictures of cards and stuff, but when it comes to like move making, have you ever found other hobbies or other inspirations outside of cardistry affect the move itself? Um, I would say so. Yeah. I, I think like fashion and photography as a whole sort of influences what you want moves to look like, you know, because if you're focusing just on what's inside of cardistry, you might want a move that's like Phobos Diamos and it's like, you know, display, you know, very weird looking. But if you focus on like interests outside of cardistry, like fashion photography and that sort of area, then you might want to move that sort of more like, I don't know, like a sexy move. That's like, mm. I don't know. It, it, I think it, it does affect not how you create, but what you want the outcome to be and sort of, it might influence your flow a little bit. I think it sort of comes in in very indirect ways to influence you. Mm-hmm. I think like a, a really good example of that is Andrew Avila, how I know he has a, a strong basis in, in our kind of architecture. And I think that definitely shows through in his, uh, his moves. Um, for me, 
I play a lot of soccer, so I always end up in, integrating my feet on like footstools and stuff. But I'm just always interested to see how those things affect people's cardistry because I think it, it pretty much consistently always does, whether people realize it or not. I think we kind of have our own kind of basis and idea of creativity or kind of just our go-to type of actions, and they tend to influence what we, our input, what we input affects our output, I think is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think I always love to kind of ask that kind of idea. Do you think there's any other things that you would want to talk about or add to anything that we've talked about already? And you can take your time. I'm going to look over the topics list that I have. I don't know. I, I just wish there was like a, a better way to sort of get more people together in a safe way. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's probably like something that has been missing is like there hasn't been a cardistry con in several years and also just in-person jams are lower and there's not as many like jam videos. And I think a lot of like the old Fontaine stuff was sort of just like a bunch of dudes hanging out and having a good time. And I think that's what got a lot of people interested in cardistry. Mm -hmm. just having fun hanging out messing around with cards you know more fun than cardistry i always say that like if you wanted to play like a pickup soccer game like you could pretty easily find one if you're in a city but if you ever wanted to find like a cardistry group that meets in person it would pr pretty much be impossible unless you're in seattle or i'm sure probably oh, yeah california maybe new york could maybe you guys could find one in new york but um but yeah it it kind of is unfortunate in that aspect that there's not like a in-person community as much because yeah. we're just so spread out and so rare. It would be interesting to figure out how could we potentially set that up to where people know where the other cardists are, I guess, or like what, yeah. where they are. I know I in the past they is... did like a cardistry map. Yeah. 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 I just remembered that. Was that? Did the verts do that? I don't remember. I know I don't think you can it... like picture exactly what you're talking about though. It was like you could enter your location and like find yeah. people around you on the map. Yeah. Uh, I think that would definitely be helpful. Also just like a way a better way to introduce people to what it is or um, a more concrete way of teaching it. Because I think a lot mm -hmm. of people, definitely myself, are like stumped when people ask what it is you're doing. Um, and a lot of people answer like, well, it's not magic. It's not gambling. It's kind of like skateboarding, but it's different, you know? Mm -hmm. And I just, I think we would benefit from having a, just like a, a solid concrete way of saying, this is what it is that we do and you should do it too you know, yeah i think too what we could do better at is just kind of like showing other people cardistry in the sense of like i don't know i think most of us are probably introverts i would think cardists from my experience a lot of them have been introverts but i think we could do a better job of like just walking around in a store and shuffling cards or you know sitting at your local coffee shop and doing it and yes. like maybe someone comes up to you and be like what the what is that and you can explain it 
I think part of the issue isn't necessarily um, that there's not a great way to describe it. I think it's just so uncommon that mm -hmm. people don't have any basis because like everything at one point is like to somebody that has no clue or that was that's like a young kid and they see like football or soccer or whatever. They have no clue what's going on. They don't know the rules and you have to kind of learn that stuff. Um, that's a good point. But yeah. for carcery, people don't learn, learn those things. So uh, it would be interesting if we could find a way to describe cardistry, almost like rules of cardistry, I guess. Yeah. And maybe it comes down to what moves you show people for the first time, you know? Um, yeah. I forget who it was. Someone was talking about how they start out with a Charlie A. Or no, they start out with like a cut on a table. And then they're like, okay, this is happens on a table, how you would play in a game. You can also do it in one hand, but we do it, you know, in two hands and like go on mm -hmm. from like, and I'm totally blanking. I'm pretty sure Kevin Ho, had, Kevin Ho, I think it's yeah. Kevin Ho had like a little, he put on like a little event and like kind of showed people kind of like that kind of described yeah. the kind of how it expands. Mm -hmm. One thing I always like to do is I'll do like, I'll show someone a Charlier cut and then I'll show them the schmear fan mm -hmm. and I'll be like, okay, you can now combine those two. And that's kind of like an easy way for people to be like, oh, that's you combine and like things, everything you learn kind of grows off of each other to where you have yeah. almost like complete creativity to an extent because you have so much control over this object. And moves like those are also just very easy for people to understand, you know, and if you were to show them like Pandora right off the bat, it would just you would still see it for what it is, but you wouldn't understand like the nuances the of mechanics. it. Like, you know, so yeah. and it's like, you get it, truly you get it. And then when the two go together, you understand everything about all three of those things together. Mm -hmm. I think part of the issue too, is that like everything we're doing right now is like super complex to an uh, complex, I guess to where like an outsider doesn't like really understand, like we're all doing two hand cuts for the most part and to laymen two hand cuts almost all look exactly the same because they don't have that basis. Right. So maybe focusing on showing people the fundamentals would be a good mm -hmm. thing. Um, but the problem with that is just that sometimes the fundamentals are kind of boring, True. which is also why it's sometimes hard to get into cardistry because you spend a, a lot of time learning how to do this, spend hours learning how to do that. And like, it's kind of cool. And I don't know too, cause maybe just cause I've seen it a million times, but I feel like a layman, if they saw this, they'd be so, just be like, oh, neat. Yeah. Yeah. Also it's, but, you forget how difficult the basics are after you've done it for so long, you know, like if you try and do anything in your non, in your opposite hands, like trying to do a two handed cut in your, not, it's weird. It's not the, you know what I mean, right? Like if yeah. you switch the hand, you do cartridge and it's like, everything becomes so difficult all of a sudden. Yeah. Like I've tried, like one of my dream moves is to have uh, a upside down spring and a, a regular spring and then kind of close it together in the middle. Hmm. But I would have to have like immense control over the left hand spring that I cannot get. <laughs> 
because oh, like, yeah. I'm just not used to that motion with my left hand. And it's kind of like, okay, that might've been a little bit how it used to be like when I was trying to learn, was struggling so much to get this one thing down. Um, so yeah, that's a, pr a pretty good example that I think a lot of people use. But yeah, you often forget how difficult the things we kind of take for granted are like scissor cut and Charlie Aaron springs and stuff. Um, I would so, sort of argue that it's like cumulative though. Like once you learn a few things, you get, everything gets a little bit easier. Yeah. Just the more you learn and the longer you do it, it just gets progressively easier. And it's like, it's a very hard like bump to get over right at the beginning, you know, but once you, once you can do, you know, scissor cut, Charlie, rev cut comfortably, then it's like your opportunities are so much more numerous. Yeah. It's almost like you kind of develop the tools yeah. and then you can use those tools and combine them. So maybe it'd be good for us to kind of sh show how once you learn the basics that get over that initial hump, that does get easier over time. So I think that's another one of the hardest things with cardistry that's kind of halting its growth is that it's just really hard at the beginning. And there's like, it doesn't seem like there's going to be a lot of reward almost because we're just starting out and like, it's hard to see people like having like a career in cardistry or like making money off of cardistry, even though that is starting to happen. Like people want to make sure that they're putting their time and efforts into something that's going to be beneficial to them. Mm -hmm. So, um, or that could potentially be beneficial to them. So I think having like brands pop up and, and you guys being doing really awesome things is super important showing that people can make a living off of it, but also just, showing the incredible stuff that people is creating is, is worth it, I think would be important. So at the end of the show, I like to do what I call roll out the close up pad. And that's just my way of saying, is there anything that you would like to promote or any last nugget you would like to leave the audience with? Definitely. Um, promotion wise, um, the latest two Comerigi decks are printing. Um, it seems like they've been printing forever, but hopefully they'll be finished this month or early next month. Um, and uh, I'm very excited to finally put out the Hallmark playing cards this year, which will be coming up next. And that's the blue deck with the big red circle and the white dot in the corner. Um, apart from that, I'd love to say go support Yanganyo Hei. Um, mm -hmm. He's just finished printing. Again, amazing brands. Um, much love to them. Um, that's really it. I, I'm excited for this year. I, I hope that we can all take it to a new level. Yeah, I, I obviously hope so too. Like always, I'll leave uh, links in the description if you're watching this on YouTube to Linus's stuff and Como Reggie's stuff. Um, definitely check it out if you haven't. I think it's definitely worth your time. Linus, thank you for taking your time to be on the show. I hope everybody gained a little bit of knowledge or had a little bit of fun with this interview. And if you haven't seen it, there's also an interview with Parker Mitchell. So um, definitely check that out. That's pretty uh, also dealing with Coma Rebbe. So uh, Linus, thank you for your time and uh, see you guys later. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely.